Martin. Well, what a privilege to be here to, to uh, share this message with you. I just want to preface all of this by saying that the only thing I know about uh, Antioch Church is uh, Judy and I set uh, Don Jacobson, friend of mine here in, in, uh, in the Bend area, said there's a guy you got to meet. And uh, I have sat with Ken. We sat with Ken and Tamara in our, in our patio back in SoCal, and I heard his heart. And I'm really attracted to that. But I just want to make sure that you understand what I'm going to talk about and that you understand that I have not been prepped. I don't know anything about your church, so if I say anything that hits home, it's not because, you know, Ken said, hey, mention this, because this is something we really got to get done. (laughs) I'm, uh, when Ken called me and said, would you do this? I said, you sure you want an old guy to come in and do this? And he has privileged me by uh, being a reader on my next book, which is all about our Judy, for Judy and me, our experience coming to Christ through the Jesus movement, which was the last great revival in the world. And coming out of darkness, and people telling us, you've got to go to church. And I can still remember going to church and asking the question, why'd they want us to do this? I mean, we were doing something, and now we're doing nothing. But it seems like that's what we do. And so I wrote this book uh, kind of from the ticked-off perspective of a Jesus movement rocker who realized 40 years later, I've been had. (laughs) And so this just comes from deep within my heart, and I just got to let you know it's real edgy. It's really what I think about the church. It's really what I think God wants us to say about the church. And it is what I want to bring to Antioch Church today. So having said all that, let me just begin with a story. Uh, my, one of my very best friends, a guy named Kevin Butcher, a guy I went to seminary with uh, years ago. He is pastoring a church on the mean streets of Detroit. And uh, we were together last week, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to do this church, pray for me. Uh, it's a new church in Bend, Oregon, and they call it Antioch. And Kevin said, wow, you know, that's, that's one of the coolest names I've ever heard for a church. He said, do they have any idea of what Antioch represents in church history? I said, no, but I'm going to tell them. Let me tell, tell you where Antioch fits in. In the book of Acts, and this is where most of the message is coming from, in the book of Acts, there is this, this idea when Luke writes Luke Acts, his point is that the church did what it did against all odds. That there was this, the church was an irresistible force. When you read through the New Testament, keep in mind that every social power, every political power, every military power was against them. And they did what they did against all odds. So Luke in Acts is presenting this against all odds idea. As the church moves, 
irresistibly from Jerusalem and Judea to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. He does this in three, you know, chapters 1 through 7 is in Jerusalem and Judea. Chapters 8 through 12 is in Judea and Samaria as they make the transition. And 12 through the end of the book is the, the ends of the earth. Peter and uh, then Philip and then Paul. Two years, 13 years, 14 years. And I just want you to know where you fit into all of this. He gives us these, uh, these progress reports. There are progress reports throughout the book of Acts that are designed, as he, it's really books in, within a book, and they're designed to let, to, we're supposed to go, whoa, look what happened. Nothing could stop it. Let me just review some of these against all odds progress reports. Chapter 2, verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, added. Next panel, next book, chapter 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Wow, sounds like you couldn't stop it. Including the priests. Their enemies were coming to Christ. Chapter 9, verse 31. And waiting in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they, the churches, were multiplied. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Now the word of God is personified as the power of God. Nothing could stop it. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Chapter 28, 30 and 31. Think about how it ends. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence in Rome, no one forbidding him. So as Theophilus, the reader of this, this new Christian is, is reading this, he's thinking, man, nothing can stop us. We're the church of the living God. Nothing can stop us. You are here at 1224. That's, where, that's how significant the name Antioch is to the history of the church. Against all odds, in spite of Jewish racism and bigotry, in spite of every power being against it, there is this place of hope that is positioned to reach the end of the earth in a place called Antioch. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to live up to your name. To live up to your name. I want to take the panels and take the, uh, the very purpose statement of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Jesus says, here's what, I, here's what I want you to expect to his disciples. I want you to expect that you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And it's in the, the very purpose statement of the church that I think we got it wrong. If you look at we're going to be witnesses, you look at the book of Matthew If you're going to live up to your name, you're going to have to be authentically Christian. And you're going to have to be counterculture, not to the culture of the United States, but to the culture of the evangelical church. In Matthew, Jesus gives these two insights. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let me just ask you, which one of those is a promise and which one of those is a command? Jesus promises to build his church, and he commands us to make disciples, to get involved in other people's lives, to touch them with the grace and the love of Christ in meaningful ways. It's about people, and it's time for the church to quit taking responsibility for what we cannot do, grow churches, and start taking responsibility for what we can do, make disciples. I am so sick of mega churches with no impact and no change on the cultures and all of this talk about how we got to have a big church to prove that we're somehow worthy. What is my possible? My possible is that I can touch another life with the love and grace of Christ. My possible, that's my responsibility. That's personal to me, and it happens one life at a time. God's impossible is to build the church. God's responsibility is, for, is to grow the church. That's global. That's billions of lives. And we are spending buckets and buckets of money and all this time training people to do what God says the Holy Spirit should do. He's the one that strategizes. He's the one that reaches all of these places. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. And my message to you this morning is don't settle. Don't settle for evangel talk. Don't settle for being something big in the eyes of Christians. Don't settle for growth when you can have impact. Don't settle for growth when you can have impact. Who cares what people think about how big your church is? What you want to be about is lives being changed, marriages being healed, addicts getting clean. And people saying, I cannot explain my life apart from this community of faith called Antioch Church. In the next panel, the the first report. And the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. If you read through the account, Peter had to stand up and say to his Jewish friends, you must be drunk. This must, there's something weird going on here. And Peter stands up and says, you got to understand, everything is different now. We're not going to do what we used to do. What I would say is, don't settle for religion when you could have revival. Don't settle for religion when you could have revival. (laughs) Don't settle for religion when you could have revival. Here's what you're going to have to get straight. You're going to have to decide that you can do one of two things. You can either have revival or you can keep Christians happy. If you want to really have revival, 
you are going to have to tick off the Christian community. You're going to have to be unexplainable to them. You've got to live within yourself. You've got to know what you're about because your Christian friends are going to say, what do you guys do this? And you've got to stand against that in your own mind and in your own heart. You've got to be okay with being different because they are mutually exclusive. You can either reach people for Christ in realistic ways, in authentic ways, and tick off the Christian community, or you can make them happy and become like them and become irrelevant. So don't settle for religion when you can have revival. Next progress report is given very clearly. It's a, it's a cool progress report. When Paul says, I mean, when Luke says, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, including the priests. And this is at the end of this panel when you see what's happening in the church and, the, and, and where the persecution comes. And there's attack on the church. There's attack from within. There's attack from without. They're surprised because suddenly some of the people within the church are starting to question what they are doing, wanting to change the direction. And so they have to stand up to them. Peter has to stand up them, to them in ways that cost him. They're being persecuted from without. Peter and John at the beautiful gate say stuff in the name of Jesus and they're sent to jail. Then they're sent to jail again. If you want to do what the word Antioch, if you want to live up to the name Antioch, then you have to understand that if you are going to follow Jesus in the way of the cross, there's going to be persecution. There is going to be pain. So what I would say is don't settle for comfort when you can live courageously. Don't settle for comfort when you can live courageously. Ephesians 4 says very clearly that one of the main ways that a church grows and becomes for the body, becomes like the head, is that people within the church speak the truth in love. These guys I discipled who comes to church once in a while but grew up in the church uh, went into secular education and he said, Ed, just let me tell you. Let me tell you why I feel safer at the university where I teach than I feel in church. Why is that? He said, because at the university, if somebody disagrees with you, if somebody doesn't like what you're doing or what you said, they're going to flip you off and tell you what they think. But in church, somebody doesn't like what I said, somebody doesn't like what I've done, and they're just like, oh. And then... They go tell their friends. If you want the comfort of a place where you do not have to relate to people honestly as the power of the Holy Spirit grows one another in a safe environment, if you don't want to do that, then I don't know how the elders feel about this, but I think you ought to leave this place and go find a great big old church where you can just sit back there and live in your pathologies and not change. 
Don't settle for comfort. Where in the world is comfort as a value for New Testament Christians? We're supposed to be the courageous people. We're the ones who walk on earth in the name of the living God. We're the ones who tabernacle among the people who are hopeless without Christ. Next, uh, Antioch, live up to your name, chapter 9, verse 31. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they, the churches, were multiplied. Whew. This is where the persecution really set in. And they had to make a choice of whether or not they were going to go for broke or they were just going to stay the way they were. And you're going to have these transitions in your time. There are going to come times in your future, I'm sure there have been in the last two years, where everything felt kind of okay. And it's like, yeah, okay, we're here. We're really here. I mean, we're going to make it. That is the most dangerous place for a church to be. Because everybody relaxes and goes, we did it. And the Lord is saying, did what? I mean, look out there. Look at the fields. They're white for harvest. Don't kick back. Don't settle for survival. And a lot of Christians, that's their only goal in their church. We just want to make it. We want to make the budget. We want to look kind of okay. The same, the same thing Christians have for their kids. What's your goal for your kids? Well, I don't want them to get pregnant. So let's just get in our little enclaves and get our little, you know, little middle-class kids and we'll teach them how to vote Republican and everything will be just right. <laughs> Good night. I'm too old and too tired and too sick. I live with a vicious disease. I'm tired of doing stuff that doesn't count. Don't live for survival. Live for significance. I want stories to tell to my grandchildren about what the living God did through my life. I want stories to tell in heaven. I'm going to sit down at the Starbucks with some of you and say, hey, remember what God did? Live up to your name. Don't, I mean, just, just let her rip. Well, my buddy Kevin said, do they have any idea about what they're doing? That's the coolest name I've ever heard. Uh, my response to him was, yeah, I hope, hope they don't mess it up. We've, we've already messed up all the other names. <laughs> There's a reason people don't go to Baptist churches. There's a reason people don't go to Bible churches. There's a reason people don't go to fellowship churches. It's not the name. It's what we've done to it. you got a cool name, but you could mess it up really, really easily. Let's just review... What happened at the church of Antioch? Tell me what kind of people you thought these were. A couple of story, a couple of snapshots at the church at Antioch. The first is at chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. 
And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So is that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first, first called Christians at Antioch. Verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which, was, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Then on over in chapter 13, we hear another story about the church at Antioch. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, some other guys' names that I can't pronounce anymore. It's been too long since I took Greek. These guys who had been brought up with Herod, that uh, Herod the Tetrarch. You know, that's one thing I don't understand about seminary. Why do they teach seminarians to teach and to talk in terms that nobody else understands? When I was teaching preaching, you know, and the guy would go, Yahweh. I go, kid, night, get over yourself. Just call him God. Yahweh Elohim. Okay, you took Hebrew. As they ministered to the Lord. This is probably my last time at Antioch. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, don't mess it up. Ken told you that you got to take this by faith. But in my younger years, I was on a hotshot crew, fought fire for the U.S. Forest Service, Fulton Hotshots in the Southern Sierras. We traveled all over the Western states fighting fire. And I still remember we would walk into fire camp. We would walk into fire camp. We're all scarred up. We got FOS checked, that stuff. They all over our all over our ourselves. We've been out on the line for for twelve. Uh, you know, 20 hours, and would walk into fire camp. And all the hotshot crews, the guys who had actually been on the front lines, we would gather over there. And all the fire camp dorks <laughs> would be over here. And while we were out on the line, you know, planes dropping stuff on us, dropping out of helicopters, running for our life, getting the pajazz scared out of us. I remember the first time I ever fought fire, I thought, this is nuts. Does anybody here know that this mountain is on fire? <laughs> what we should be doing is, ah! <laughs> But I still remember the look that the fire camp dorks would give to us, and I could tell that they really wanted to be at that table. These people at Antioch, they were all in. They defined their life by their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I would say is, don't settle for the sidelines when you could be on the front lines. Don't settle on the sidelines when you could be on the front lines. What do you want to do? You want, you want to end your days and say, yeah, you know, 
I went to church and, man, it really met all my needs. So does the Kiwanis Club. (laughs) Or do you want to say, man, we were on the front lines. I can't believe it. What do you want to say in 20 years? Look at how different Bend is. Because we were here. We fought battles. We were persecuted. A couple of things Jesus, I know Jesus is going to ask you to do, to do if you want to be on the front lines. He will ask you to love him more than your agenda for your life. And Jesus will ask you to love him more than your money. And those are two things he always asks. Think about it. One year, the message comes from God. I want you to set apart Saul and Barnabas and send them away. What would happen today if, if, if I came today and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want, I want, we want, God's message is, I'm, he's not saying this, but God's message is Ken and Tamara and two of your, another couple that are most, God wants them to go to Boise. Can you just imagine what would happen in today's little Christian communities? What, what about us? They took their two studs and just sent them off. Because that's what God wanted. And what's really cool is when God come, when they come back, the church is more vibrant than ever. You know, how do we, in the history, Church of the Open Door has over 90 years of history. And a friend of mine did an analysis on Church of the Open Door. And he said, when the leaders and the people were clinging and controlling, the church would die. When the leaders and the people were releasing and equipping, the church would thrive. Here's the, here's the thoughts that come into your head. I don't even, you know, again, I don't know anything about it, but, you know, Ken's got this passion for Keown College. Can I just tell you how counterculture that is? What, you, what he would get in most churches? I hope he's not getting it here. Oh, anyway, what does it do? Is it priority? Well, you know, what about the local church? You know what people are really saying? You know what they're really saying? What about me? Where I fit in? I thought I was going to get a place for my family. would not ever be challenged, and he would always be here. He'd be my personal best friend. I don't know about him doing something significant. <laughs> I want to release him from that because then I might not have him. I think I missed this in the slides, but the other thing is, is uh, don't try to be impressive. This is another part of releasing. You know, you're in Bend. This is a place, this is just my message to you. You're in Bend, and I know Oregon. This is where the beautiful people congregate. It just is. But what are you going to be about? You give about cheese and wine and reaching the beautiful people. What about the guys that drink Bud and live in the meth trailers? I'm dead serious. What are you going to do about them? 
Here's the idea that many times, especially a new church, you think that if you could just get enough influential people, this place would really take off. Well, look at the history of the church. Look at the church at Antioch. It was slaves and soldiers. It was street people. If you want influence, you've got to forget about being impressive. Jesus is not going to be impressed by how many influential people you get. He's going to be impressed by how many people you influence. And Jesus' heart is with the down and out, the left over and the left out. That's who his heart is with. What are you going to do about the people who have no hope? People down in L.A. Pine. Isn't it interesting that there's 472 churches in Bend and I got a village missionary down in Lapine and he is going nuts trying to meet all the needs there. Why? Those people are hard. Jesus will ask you to love him more than your money. I'm not saying this to raise money for Antioch, but I'd love to raise money for Antioch. Let me just say this, is that your, your heart follows your money. That's what Jesus said. I'm not saying it. And I am just sick of our materialism. Part of my book to the Jesus generation is people my age from the Jesus, we have more money and more time than any generation of Christians in the history of the church And I got Jesus movement friends that are just heartbroken because they might not see Paris before they die. I got an idea. Why don't you see Africa before you die and go somewhere to make a difference? I hear it all the time now, even from our leaders at Church of the Open Door. Well, I don't know what the budget's going to happen, you know, because we're in tough times. Oh, yeah, that's good. This is just a fact. And I don't know anything about your church, but I, I would guess that it's probably normal. Most Christians don't give squat. Jesus is going to ask you to throw in. My heart's with Antioch. Is it? Talk all you want. You know what Jesus says? You know how I can tell? I can tell by where you put your resources. And you'll mess it up if you live for yourself. Don't settle for uniformity when you could have unity. Jesus will ask you to love his people more than yourself. He's asking some of you that right now. I don't even know the group, but I'm sure there's already somebody here at Antioch that you're just going, this place would be a much better place if she wasn't here. She drives me nuts. Guess what? You probably drive her nuts. Christianity is about working together. Biblical unity requires Christ-like humility. Uniformity requires worldly power. Unity is based on trust. Uniformity is based on agreement. Really different. Unity develops Christ-like character in a community. Uniformity develops a few desired characteristics in a cult. Unity encourages honesty to reveal failures and heal faults. Uniformity encourages hypocrisy to shame failures and hide faults. 
The values of unity are dictated by biblical truth. The values of uniformity are dictated by the opinions of the loudest. Uniformity says don't question and don't disagree. Unity says if it's your honest question, ask it. If it's your honest comment, make it. Biblical unity views authority and submissions as expression of love when it comes to a church, people working together. Uniformity views authority and submission as expressions of control. Biblical unity is about receiving power from God to influence others. Uniformity is about pursuing power to direct others. So what I want to say to Antioch Church is, don't, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for what evangelicals have been selling, settling for. In fact, just drop the name. Just drop it. I don't use it anymore. It's too awkward when I'm talking to my non-Christian friends. You an evangelical? I know if they say, yeah, they're going to go, wow, a bigot. I just met one. I just say, no, I'm a follower of Christ. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. You can handle that. And the reason Judy and I are so vested in telling you not to mess it up is because Oregon, this culture, is a place we love. We spent eight and a half years in a startup church in Oregon. And we blew the doors off. We built buildings. We exploded. We had great numbers. But we messed it up. We messed it up. Because we couldn't get along. And we didn't think about things like this until it was too late. So we chose upsides and we decided to fight. And we just met with some people from that church yesterday. And the community will never be the same. I mean, this isn't SoCal. Church of the Open Door goes down. There are a lot of options. Probably more options than we, des- than we deserve. But I'm telling you, man, in this culture, in Oregon, the most unchurched state in the union, and the churches that are here, I'm just going to be honest with you, are pretty irrelevant. If you guys mess up the name Antioch, Please don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Keep this heart for relevant ministry pure. Don't mess it up. For the sake of Christ. For the sake of all these people. Here in Bend and in Oregon and around the world who are without Christ and without hope. So, Father, I want to pray for these friends, and I just thank you for the privilege of being here.
hope it's helped. I can't tell, but you can. And I, and I want to pray for this place right now. I pray for your blessing on Antioch Church. I pray that your blessing would come with repentance that drops agendas. I pray that your blessing would come with repentance that drops living for ourselves. I, th- I pray that your, uh, your blessing would come with repentance that says, that has been saying, I, I've just been interested in my comfort and my survival. I pray that there will be many people saying to you right now, I do not want to be on the sidelines. I want to be on the front lines. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this, Father. I, don't, I really don't want to mess this up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two more things. Please live up to your name. Please don't mess it up.